Hey! Hi, this is Dr. Christine. And Dr. Colin. And we are your co-hosts for the exciting new podcast called Love, Love Scrubs, Scrubs, and Stories, where we dive deep into the world of dating and relationships and go beyond the people wearing the white coats, the scrubs, and the stethoscopes. Come join us on this journey where we engage in dialogue and share stories of love, heartbreak, resilience, and triumphs. And we also navigate our professional lives with our hearts on our sleeves. Please remember to subscribe and hit the notification button to stay up to date on all future episodes. And, and we, we look, look forward, forward to, to seeing, seeing you inside. Hello. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us on the Love Scrubs and Stories podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and I am also joined by my other lovely co-host. I'm Dr. Christine Nguyen. Thank you for joining us on this podcast where we talk about all things dating and relationships from the lens of healthcare professionals. Tune in, whether you're single, you're committed, or somewhere in between, we've got something for, for everyone. And guys, if this is your first time tuning in, please remember to smack that subscribe button and we are super thrilled for having you on. So thank you so much for spending the time out. Christine, this topic and the guest that's coming on is a huge topic. And um, a lot of it at the end of the day is really relating towards the core topics of intimacy. All right. And I don't know about you, but growing up as an Asian person, it's not really talked about. In fact, very, very taboo, right? We don't really speak of it, right? And for some reason or somehow, I think, you know, if I did it, did it, you know, go into the health professions, like you wouldn't even like learn about it, right? So what has been, I guess, your experiences or lack thereof of just talking about intimacy and was it comfortable and not so comfortable? Does it give you the heebie-jeebies? Like, what was it for you? <laughs> I know. So we're talking about sexual health and the importance of talking about it. But yet, even as healthcare professionals in our personal lives, it often does not even get talked about. And even, I would say, even to this day, I don't think my family, we've ever talked about it, you know, for sure. Not even, yeah, for sure, not with my parents or nor, or even my siblings. It's just not something we talk about. It's something I talk a lot about with my friends, for sure. But it's, you know, one aspect, you know, being a primary care physician, as a family physician, you and I are both are, you know, we've helped patients in this aspect of their health, their sexual health. But yet in our personal lives, it could be very much hush hush. Yeah, depending on, you know, each person and uh, kind of like their comfort in it. And and even when, you know, some of us like, you know, have need help or have questions, you know, we want to inquire about because of experiences we've had in our own dating relationship lives that, that, you know, we don't always know who to reach out to, you know, to get, you know, accurate information. <laughs> How about you, Colin? You want to expand further on, on, on sort of what's been your history on whether or not this gets talked about and yeah, I mean, in short, it doesn't it doesn't get talked about. And in a way, it almost does me and people of similar, you know, life experiences, cultural backgrounds, uh, um, and upbringings uh, a disservice, because it's kind of like, you explore, or you don't really have that, you know, foot, you know, stepped in your foot stepped in the door of opening conversation. Right. And I think, it doesn't have to be taboo. It doesn't have to be like, oh, the ick, right? That people describe <laughs> nowadays. What's that new new lingo, right? 
but we can approach it by having healthier conversations because guess what? It's a part of our lives, you know, physical health, mental, emotional health. We talk about different aspects of this on this podcast and why not, you know? And I think from a male perspective, it's super, super important to talk about because, um, it's important to be open and vulnerable. And that leads as a gateway, that door into these conversations. Because if we have healthier conversations with it, then we have a healthier mindset about it. Uh, and we don't go into, for example, you know, nowadays that plagues, you know, different aspects of, you know, society like pornography that leads to different things like violence right? Domestic abuse, right? Trafficking is a real issue, right? So I think by having healthier conversations, it helps us to approach this in a delicate, but also kind of trusted, you know, rapport, whether it's, you know, with patients, but I think it's, you know, on a personal level, it's important. And I definitely, you know, from a male perspective, which I appreciate because our guests is well-versed in it. So yeah, certainly. Intimacy is such a big part of relationships. And it's something that I think in order to, I think, go deeper into the relationship, you know, I think that aspect needs to be discussed at some point in the relationship. And so I, I, you know, there's a lot that I want to learn. And, you know, what better person is, is it you know, to learn this from, from our, our expert? Did you have any more to add? Or shall we uh, go ahead and in, shall I introduce him and can't wait to have him kind of give us some insights and some education. Let's bring him on. All right, everybody. I'm super excited. Today we have Dr. A.R. Abdelbar. He's a 43-year-old probably 33 at heart, a board-certified urologist who self-specializes in pediatric urology and a father living his best life in the sunshine state of Florida. He grew up mostly in Canada, but has lived across Canada, the U.S., and spent time in the Middle East and presently live and work in Southwest Florida. His parents are from Egypt and live there presently. He's a divorced dad to three amazing kids, ages 13, 10 and five. So, so he says that work allows him to support his kids and his lifestyle, but he definitely worked to live and not vice versa. His other passion is holistic men's health. He uh, turned his own health around during very stressful periods of his life, you know, which includes residency, divorce, etc. So he knows how empowering it can be to be able to do this. He likes to spend his free time crossfitting, reading, learning new fun hobbies, as surfing is his, his latest passion, and traveling. AR, let's have you join us. How are you doing today? Hey. Thank you so much for joining us on the Love, Girls, and Stories podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I was excited to be here, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity to, to talk to you guys. I love it. I love it. Where do you surf in the other Sunshine State? Uh, so I've been taking surf trips out to California to your end of the country. I usually go to, to San Diego. So listen, just, just move on anymore. over. Just move on over. That's <laughs> what I told him. And that's how I actually to move to California. It would just be far from my kids. So maybe yeah. when they're a little bit older. Yeah. And that's how we first met AR when you happened to, you know, be in SoCal. And I was like, oh, hey, you know, and I like, it was just like perfect timing because I actually, I recruited you to be part of the, uh, the, the white coat romance, you know, calendar, the male calendar that we had talked about a couple of years yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you know, to this day, it hasn't happened yet just because of time and uh, things like Not that. Yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet, but it will happen. The pictures, so, you know. <laughs> so, right. And you were such a great sport about it. So that's how we met. And, and then since then, 
then, you know, we've been able to like stay in touch and, you know, we formed a lot of great friendships with everyone in the group. And so I'm very just um, honored and thankful that you've, you know, we reached out to you and, and you said, yeah, sure. I'd love to talk about men's sexual health and educate our audience more about it. And so, yeah. So to start off, can you just, why did you decide to specialize in, in urology? Like what was it about this specialty that drew you in? So it was very like fortuitous. I went to med school with kind of an open mind about what to do and then got to third year and didn't really have any preconceived notions about what I did, what I wanted to do. And I did a rotation in pediatric urology first and I absolutely loved it. It was like my first month of clinical rotations and I'm like, this is what I want to do. And they're all like, no, 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 you got to go do see the other rotations first and come back. But I kept coming back. Like I would do, I'd be on another rotation. I'd come and do cases with them. And then they were like, oh, like he really wants to do this. So I always knew I want to do pediatric urology professionally. Um, it's, uh, you know, you're helping kids out that are, you know, they're not at fault for the diseases that they have and the conditions that they have. You make an improvement in their quality of life. And the, you know, the procedures are usually short, clean, and make an impact. So it's like, and it's, a, it's not a bad lifestyle either. I fell in love with it. And then I found out you have to go do adult urology residency to do that. So my whole point in doing adult urology residency is I knew I wanted to do pediatric urology from the get-go. Into um, urology and then pediatric urology. So to do pediatric urology, you have to do residency, become board certified in urology, and then become subspecialty certified in pediatric urology. So that's the career path I took. And then along that path, I had kind of I grew up kind of playing sports and considering myself athletic and in good health and good shape. And I kind of let that go during medical school. And when I started residency, I was 30. My first daughter was born two weeks before internship. And I had to go see internal medicine doctor as part of like insurance, you know, health insurance for residents. And he's like, oh, you're like 30, 40 pounds overweight. And I'm going to, and your cholesterol is really high. And I'm going to start you on a stat. And I'm like, what? Like I'm 30 and I want to live long enough to see my daughter, like get married and go to college and whatever. Like that's, I don't want to start on a statin. So he's like, well, you got a year to clean up your life and come back next year. And if you've made an improvement, I won't start you on a statin. So during internship, when I, while I had a, you know, a uh, newborn at home and working like over a hundred hours a week, I managed to start exercising again and being conscious about what, what I ate and uh, lost a whole lot of extra weight that year. And I came back the next year, he looked at our numbers and he's like, remind me, did we start you on a stand? Cause your numbers are way better. I'm like, no, like I did this. And so that was the start of me kind of taking ownership of my own health and realizing how empowering that was. And that, you know, when things hit the fan and in residency and things, I always knew that I am, you know, I'm the master of my own fate, uh, you know um, and I can control the outcome because I did that with my own health. Amazing AR. And you look awesome. And Thanks. so certainly, you know, urology is, you know, family medicine physician, so it's Colin. And so urology is, is, you know, a specialty that I can certainly use a lot more education on. So let's say I decide to crash a urology conference, medical conference. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, you're a friendly guy and you see me and you're just wanting to be inviting and you, you come on over and you said, you know what, let's break the ice. What if I throw a medical pickup line or how about a medical joke at her? Like, what would you say? What would you say to me to help kind of break the ice? All right, this is my current favorite. What did the small time criminals become when they stole a shipment of Viagra? And? Hmm. Huh. Heart, 
<laughs> How fitting. <laughs> That's awesome. That definitely broke the ice. And now we're yeah. chatting. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, urologists love to make Viagra jokes, penis jokes, anything under the sun, penis related. We're going to joke about it. And what I really loved about urology is that, like, going through med school and doing like ortho rotations and urology rotations, the orthopedic surgeons would make the same jokes as the urologists. But the urologists has made us sound like goofy and approachable, and the orthopedics just made them sound like, like, cringy. So, you know what I mean. So, like, we make dick jokes all the time, but like, we're a friendly group. So it's just like they're not, they're not like cringy dick jo jokes. Right. Right. Okay. Right. I think we need to bring on an orthopedic. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's kind of like, you know, being in that male <laughs> locker room type of setting. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, we get to test out what works and what doesn't work. Right. So yeah. and both of those professions is like very male oriented. So it's sure. kind of like, hmm, I see. <laughs> um, AR, uh, you know, as healthcare professionals, you know, we all deal with really high levels of stress. Right. In our, you know, our professional lives and also in our personal lives. And, you know, it's really difficult to um, maintain that work life balance, such as, you know, what you've gone through and managed to like turn your life around amazingly uh, and how to like being able to prioritize our, our professional life. And also just with, you know, our personal lives with dating and relationships and being able to optimize our sexual well-being and intimate relationships. What are some of these like self-care practices, you know, that positively, positively influence men's sexual health, such as some of the ones that you've been able to apply to your own life that you would recommend? Sure. I think primarily we got to remember that you know, physician heal thyself. You don't take care of yourself first and foremost. You're not going to be there to take care of your loved ones when they grow up. You know, if you have kids, you're not going to be able to take care of your patients when they need you. And your your career is going to be cut short by your own, you know, health issues. So if you don't take care of yourself first and foremost, you're not going to be able to take care of other people and you can't give from an empty bucket or an empty cup or however it's set. I think that one thing I learned very early on is that, like I said, that meeting with my care doctor was very eye-opening. Like I just had a newborn and I was like, I want to be around for this person. I want to take care of him and I want my health to carry me through residency, which is very physically demanding. And if I'm letting my own health go, I'm not going to be able to take care of others. So, you know, putting yourself first and foremost may seem selfish, but if you don't take care of yourself you really aren't going to be in a position to take care of other people. So you should never sacrifice in the name of the profession. And it's a very noble profession for sure. But we shouldn't sacrifice our own health at the altar of our profession. Rather, we should use our profession as a motivation and a roadmap for fixing our own, our own health and, and wellness, first of all. You know, secondly, I think that wellness is is holistic and it's not just your your numbers it's not just your your lipid values which i think are a good reflection of of your overall health but they're not they're not the be all and end all and really how you feel holistically is basically how you feel about your family relationships and your relationship with self and your relationship with friends and those relationships are really what make life and if you don't invest in those family friends relationships you're not going to feel fulfilled and happy in your your mind body and spirit are not going to be you know working optimally so i think you know having that framework of taking care of myself and taking care of my relationships uh first and foremost is super important and then those other things kind of fit into place 
you know, watching, you know, diet and exercise and mitigating stress. Those things kind of fit into that framework and they're not the be all and end all or, you know, for that. And people fall off on exercise and, and diet because they haven't addressed being overall healthy, overall emotionally happy and fulfilled. Let's just say your top three of what you get a lot or see in the practice. I know you're, you know, you do focus on pediatric urology, but as a urolo- in terms of urology types of topics, give me an example in terms of your top three, whether it's erectile dysfunction, anything like that. What is the top three concerns that men have in general? And looking at it from a holistic point of view, what are the top three solutions that is not obvious that you feel needs to be addressed in order to, you know, address the problem. So I think that kind of like to go back to your introduction about talking about sexual health and sexuality, you know, I come from a very similar Middle Eastern background. So like sex is not talked about, sexual health is not talked about, sexual relationships are not talked about. And then when we go to medical school, we learn all the negative things, you know, like STDs and unwanted pregnancies and all the things to avoid. And nobody's highlighting sexuality in a positive light, uh, either in our upbringings or, or so forth uh, and so forth. So there's this already mental like taboo and onerous, like it's hard to deal with the sexuality thing. And so, and I feel like it's very, and that's very common amongst, you know, men and women, but I think amongst men, we are very reticent to talk about sexual issues. And it's so very much a silent disease, meaning a men's sexual dysfunction is very, very prevalent. And it's very, very not talked about. So men don't talk about it with their partners. They don't talk about it with their physicians. They don't talk about it with their friends. They don't talk about it with anybody. I think that often, if you ask the right questions, you'll find a, you know, a significant prevalence of Uh, erectile dysfunction, as well as other sexual dysfunctions, such as premature ejaculation. But you have to ask the right questions to to get your your patients to talk about that. And then, uh, and then lastly, men will often, you know, what's even more prevalent is a subjective loss of libido that men think is just kind of natural. Men make it to their 30s and 40s and be like, oh, I don't wake up with morning erections often anymore. That's just part of aging. But it isn't necessarily part of aging because we all know men that have procreated in their 60s and 70s, right? And we all have my on my dad's side, my, my grandma and grandpa made 14 babies together, right? Well into their 50s. So it's not it's not like that when you grow older, you stop having erections. But if you grow older and let certain things about your health go neglected and deteriorate, then yes, you'll stop having erections. And you know, if you think of like the Maslow's triangle of, of, of when it relates to, to health and physiology, your body's not directing resources towards sexuality and procreation until all the other needs have been met, right? So if, you're, if your body's going to take away resources because things are not working optimally, it's the first thing it's going to take away from is going to take away from your libido because they're like, why are you, why are you procreating if you're not taking care of your basic health? I think that um, erectile problems and lack of libido are probably, well, let's say sexual dysfunction and lack and lack of libido 
um, are probably the most, are very pre prevalent and, and the most common, not necessarily complaints, but if you ask people about them, they'll tell you about them. And then, and then, and then secondly, just lack, lack of vitality in general. So, you know, that's, which is also related to the lack of libido, but a, a lack of feeling like a man, like, like a man and <laughs> healthy levels of testosterone gives you confidence. It, it gives you a, a mood stabilization and it gives you, you know, vitality to go out into the world and do great things. What immediately comes to mind is stress. Uh, the number one thing that I think about is stress. And you said the silent killer. So, you know, life is very, very distractful, very And we're just inundated with so many different things. And we tend to kind of pile on more and more, you know, because we just, you know, feel like we need to, right? That's what society is telling us. Do more, you know, no pay, no gain, right? But I can see how stress is kind of like, almost like the underpinning, that through line and all those different complaints you know, that you talk about. But I think the first step is if you can give us like some quick strategies for professionals that are listening on um, that deal with, you know, men's health within their specialties or subspecialties, what are some quick like strategies to kind of open up our male uh, patients to kind of have more of that open dialogue? Because if you don't have that open dialogue, we don't know what the problem is. You don't know what the problem is. We can't help them with a the treatment or a solution, right? Right. I think it's just going, it is that you actually have to ask the questions, right? Men are not going to come to you and complain of these things if you don't outright ask them. Uh, and you know, often in primary care, you know, they may not have the time to do that and the resources to do that with their patients. But, you know, that's why I'm, you know, my passion project is launching a holistic men's health consulting where I am going to meet with men one-on-one -on -one and ask them directly those questions and not wait for them to come to me with those questions. But if you've come to me with wanting a holistic, what's the word, a makeover of your health, um, then I'm going to have to ask you these specific questions and you're, and then when you're faced with the specific questions, you, you know, hopefully you'll, you'll give an honest and objective answer. And they're, and they're pretty, you know, we have validated questionnaires in urology regarding erectile function. You know, we have validated questionnaires regarding libido. And so, you know, we can, but it, unless you go to the doctor and you complain of that, they're not going to give you that questionnaire, but me, I'm looking at men's health holistically, I'm going to give you that questionnaire and you're going to fill that questionnaire, even if you've come to me with a completely different complaint. I see. So, so AR, so let's say in the realm of like dating relationship, like let's say I, uh, as a woman, you know, depending on the type of relationship that you're in, like want to open up this conversation. How do we, you know, delicately kind of bring up the topic and guide the discussion so that it's in a compassionate way and it's productive and effective and helps kind of deepen the relationship further. Cause I think it's always really tricky on how to go about doing that when we encounter, you know, sexual health yeah. issues in a relationship. Sure. I mean, honestly, I'm not sure that I, that I have a good answer to that. I'm going to throw that back at you. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I feel, I feel like, you know, women are the kinder gender, you know, in general. So like, like how, how, how would a woman approach that kindly towards her male partner? Cause I, I, I wouldn't know. I I'm, I'm like too blunt with everything. I, I guess what <laughs> I'm asking is how would you guys like to be received, you know, in sort of like us asking you that question and opening up uh, the door, like what would allow you to be able to open up to talk? Yeah. About I mean, I think I is what um, I'm asking. men generally open up when they feel um, safe and secure and that this, this, the relationship isn't contingent on it, you know, like, 
hey, you've got to go see a doctor about this problem or I'm breaking up with you. That's never going to work, right? But ultimatums. Like, <laughs> no ultimatums. Uh, yeah, ultimatums generally don't work. But hey, look, I really want to deepen our connection and I feel really safe talking to you about this and I'm going to accept you however you want. But I think it would be great if we want to, you know, you know, have more intimacy, have more energy to enjoy each other, have greater pleasure, etc. I think you should see somebody to talk about these things because they're not unsolvable. They're not immutable. They're not, oh, you're 40 years old. You're going to have this problem. They're not fixed in stone. You can change these things. And so, hey, I heard this great podcast with with, with AR on, you know, on, on Love's Friends and Stories. And, yes. he says, yes. <laughs> and he says that a lot of these things are fixable. So, you know, why don't we get you to somebody to see what we can do about it? Yes. Great. Thanks for those I like tips. that. Yeah, because I think, you know, as another male, you know, it's uh, depending also depending on you have there's many layers, right? You have the societal layer of how men is perceived. And then you have, you know, depending on your cultural upbringing, whether, you know, it's talked about, not talked about, how it's nuanced and everyone views sex, sexuality, relationships different depending on the upbringing. And I think, you know, to your point, AR, it's really about feeling safe and comfortable. And I think uh, if you're in a heterosexual relationship for, you know, females um, specifically to kind of make sure that conversations do not lead in a way where guys feel, I guess, emasculated or being told what to do because, you know, males that are more alpha, you know, we don't like to be told what to do. We want to have that confidence of, you know, I know what to do. Right. Yeah. But at the same yeah. time, it's like, oh, we don't know what to do. Right. So how can we, you know, delicately together be able to kind of approach this topic that's super important to not just the individual male health, but that health of that, you know, power couple. Right. Hey guys, we'll be right back. And now a word from our sponsors. The Love Scrubs and Stories podcast is a collaboration and co-production between The Chef Doc and White Coat Romance. The Chef Doc is a wellness platform that offers innovative approaches to thriving and offers a self-empowerment book, podcast series, on-demand masterclass series, as well as a brand new app. The app provides self-guided education such as food as medicine, self-care, and resilience. Coaching services are also available, whether you prefer one-on-one or group-type settings. Please go now to your app store, as well as Apple as Google Play to download for free. White Coat Romance is a dating app for healthcare and health-related professionals and students in the U.S. and Canada. It's a lively space where you can find love, companionship, and build meaningful connections with like-minded professionals. If you're single, go to the App Store and Google Play to download and join our vibrant community. As we both serve these amazing communities, we also acknowledge the value of continuing education. Therefore, we're super excited to share an enticing opportunity with our listeners. Our episodes are continuing education eligible. That's right. You now have the opportunity to earn valuable credits while enjoying our content. Rest assured, the episodes will always remain free as we are committed to supporting our communities and amplifying the voices of healthcare professionals. To get a better understanding of how this works, the first three episodes are free to obtain, then the rest of the podcast episodes are at a nominal cost. So you might be asking who can earn credits? Well, physicians, nurses, nurse practitioners, 
physicians' associates, pharmacists, dentists, as well as dietitians and dietetic technicians. If you find yourself in need of CE credits, we kindly ask you to consider directing your CE funds towards supporting our cause. Your contribution would greatly help us nurture our podcast production and continue to bring you valuable content. We are deeply grateful for your support. From all of us here at Love Scrubs and Stories Podcast, thank you so much for choosing us. And enjoy the rest of this episode. Hey guys, thanks for listening. And now back to the episode. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So aside from, you know, the, the physical factors affecting sexual health, and, you know, certainly there's the emotional and psychological aspects of it. Can we touch on a common concern for many people regarding performance anxiety uh, that's quite prevalent? And how can, you know, we address the performance related worries um, when it comes to intimacy and, and what role does self-confidence play in this aspect? What do you think? Sure. I mean, you know, the, in the traditional fra- urologic framework, um, erectile dysfunction was divided into, you know, psychogenic and organic. And I think more and more that is being realized that they're on the same spectrum and they always intermingle and every patient will have some component of both. So yes, there are definitely organic diseases that lead to erectile dysfunction, but every patient with erectile dysfunction is a man and that man has complex emotions regarding sexuality and then there's an interplay of that and as they have some organic erectile dysfunction it's going to impact their confidence that's going to lead to the psychogenic component coming in so and if you have a psychogenic erectile dysfunction similarly you lose your confidence you're not getting erections you lose interest in sex and sex is very much a use it or lose it thing. You're, if, you're, if your penis is not getting regular blood flow, the quality of your erections actually goes down with time. So, if you, so it's a use it or lose it. So I think we're looking at it more holistically and in a spectrum kind of thing. Yeah, so, so self-confidence plays um, a huge role. And what's being often done is that men are being even even if it's acknowledged that this is most that their erectile dysfunction is mostly psychogenic well if it's mostly mostly psychogenic but in this context when they're in you know heterosexual sex with their partner for example they're not getting erections but they can do getting get erections with with pornography or fan, fantasy or whatever well build their confidence by giving them either PRN use viagra or cialis so that it's a lot easier for them to get erections in that that context specific and then then they build their confidence with that and then you can wean them off of that with time so that's being used more and more not just in organic erectile dysfunction but you being used in mm-hmm. you know psychogenic erectile dysfunction to restore patient's confidence the use also of you know sex therapists uh, and sex sexual counseling has become super prevalent more and more people are becoming you know, going to licensed sex therapists is a much more demand for sex therapists out there because they can take a look at, you know, even patients, like I said, that have mostly organic erectile dysfunction can help them restore their confidence. And, um, and so that performance anxiety piece of the puzzle gets, you know, hopefully addressed. So using organic medications, even in, even in patients that have a what would be traditionally traditionally considered psychogenic erectile dysfunction, as well as using 
non-organic interventions such as sex therapy in patients that have organic erectile dysfunction. So now, so we're, we're approaching it in a much more holistic way and both ends of the spectrum benefit. AR, I'm curious, you know, and you can please let me know about the trends of the, and the, and the data that shows us, but I feel like performance anxiety, erectile dysfunction, especially the psychogenic component of it. And, you know, I, we're seeing these trends of younger and younger males having this issue. And I would love for you to kind of speak upon, you know, what is actually contributing to that um, and or causing that. And is it, you know, are we too much preemptively just kind of like a Band-Aid, you know, giving them Viagra at Cialis too soon because, you know, we're not really doing the hard work in terms of exploring what are these causes, right? If we find out that it's really not organic, right? If it's not related to blood pressure, high cholesterol, heart disease, for example, you know, what is causing these, you know, these trends of these uh, uh, males that are having earlier and earlier problems? Yeah, I mean, I honestly don't have the data. Um, and so mostly what I have are like my own biases or, or preconceived notions. There's definitely real organic reasons for the increase in prevalence of erectile dysfunction, right? The great increase in, in obesity and the fact that the obesity curve is being pushed uh, earlier and earlier. So we have a lot more, you know, obese kids now and obese teenagers and obese young adults. So it makes sense that those same obese young adults are having higher and higher rates of erectile dysfunction. So there's real organic reasons why erectile dysfunction is more prevalent. Are there re real psychogenic reasons also, like you know, prevalence of, uh, of pornography and desensitization and you know, context-specific reasons why men are getting aroused outside the bedroom but not in the bedroom? Etc. Are there real? Is that true also? Probably, but we know that there are organic reasons why more and more men have erectile dysfunction and sexual dysfunction in general. And so, I don't think it's premature to give a man of any age who's having erectile dysfunction a PD five inhibitor. I, you know, I, I, I don't buy into that. I like even if it's mostly psychogenic, it can help. If it's used correctly and they use, you know, PRN Viagra for bedroom encounters, but not when, but not for pornography, they can rebuild their confidence in the bedroom. So I feel like I, I, I'm not, I, I, you know, I feel like there's enough organic reasons why there's more erectile dysfunction that we don't have to say, oh, you know, this is all psychogenic. I think there's definitely a psychogenic component to it. And that's more prevalent also, but there's enough organic disease out there that for any patient that you treat with that, you're doing them a favor. I see. And not Thanks for clarifying. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I actually did hear that too from some urologist friends as well when we talked about it in the past. And so, and certainly with your, you know, holistic approach to men's sexual health that, you know, it's, it's in conjunction, like you don't just do this part, you know, and not address some of the other aspects right. that could be contributing, you know, to the, the issue. Yeah. So what are some of the, the common misconceptions about men's sexual health that you often encounter? And yeah. And yeah. what would you say to, you know, how would you debunk some of those misconceptions so that it can lead to healthier relationships? Yeah. If it's okay, I'll, I'll address the, the, the bigger question of um, the misconceptions about men's health in general and not just sexual health. Um, like yeah, said, certainly. Yeah, please. A more holistic view of it. And I feel like 
like the biggest myth is that you're as a, as a man, your health is immutably and irreversibly going to decline in your thirties and forties. And that's the biggest myth. And yes, if you let, you know, if, if you maintain the status quo and you eat the same junk food you've been eating and getting away with as a teenager and in your twenties into your thirties and forties, yes, you will progress and gain weight and have the resultant health issues. If you, you know, follow the, the trends and become physically sedentary and, you know, once you, you know, stop playing high school sports, yes, then immutably you're going to become less strong, less vital, and your testosterone levels will drop with age. But those are, a, those are some big ifs, right? So if you change those ifs, the suddenly it's not immutable and irreversible anymore. Um, I think that's the biggest myth that it's an irreversible change in testosterone levels. Yes, testosterone levels do tend to decline decade by decade, starting near late thirties and forties. That being said, you, you know, if you mitigate that with uh, resistance training, you know, a whole food diet, et cetera, you can maintain those levels with a very, very, very slight, you know, you know, very, it's be very hard to notice a difference yourself from year to year. And in fact, if, if in your twenties and thirties, like me, had you let yourself, let your health fall to the wayside and not paid attention to that, then you can, in your thirties and late thirties and forties, you can actually double your testosterone level just by going back to the things you used to do in high school and lifting heavy weights and eating nourishing whole foods. So you can, so you can actually reverse that trend. Uh, so it's not irreversible. So that's the, I think that's like the biggest myth that I'd love to see men counter. The other biggest myth is that hormones need to be replaced, right? So I strongly believe that, you know, your hormone levels should be monitored. They should be, they should be measured and they absolutely should be restored to physiologic levels if they've taken a hit due to disease or disuse. But uh, replacement is a last resort to restoration because when you start replacing esophagus hormones, you're shutting off your own production and then you're dependent on that. And not just are you dependent on that, but uh, the, you know, the natural variation, you know, in your daily testosterone levels, which is important for, for others, you take that away. The other hormones that are involved get taken away. So you're just giving, you're just giving one testosterone or, I mean, you might do like a, a serum or something that's going to increase some other hormones, but generally it's a one dimensional approach um, when you replace. Whereas if you are restoring naturally, it's a lot more holistic. And yes, there are some men who are either, you know, too far down the line of natural, the natural decay where they they can't lift weights, you know, they, they can't eat the foods they need to eat to restore their natural testosterone levels, or they're, they've had, you know, surgeries or chemotherapy that will impair their natural hormone production. So yes, th there are men that we don't have a choice. It's a last resort. You have to replace their hormones, but the vast majority a men can restore their, their, their levels. And so, yes, I think the second biggest myth is that levels need to be restored by replacement or exogenous replacement, whereas you can restore and, you know, double a man in his forties testosterone by having him do the right things.
Wow. Double, huh? That's amazing. Yeah. That you can actually not just, like you said, not just reverse, yeah. but in, in a positive direction. That's and yeah. that's wonderful news. Yeah. I think that's very important to hear, especially for men, because, you know, it's very easy to just let yourself go and then be told or your, your perception is like, oh, there's it's you know, it's inevitable. Yeah, it's yeah. inevitable, right? Yeah. So that kind of, you know, puts a damper on things and that prevents you from really taking back, not necessarily ownership, but in a way, yes. But it, like you said, it's debunking that myth and letting them know like, oh, I can actually be empowered and actually right. take back my health by doing X, Y, Z, right? Like for you was, you know, eating, you know, eating better and, you know, increasing your physical activity, right? Like, come on. I mean, have you looked at his arms? <laughs> yeah. Let's see those guns. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's important. I don't, don't, don't want to be like cringy and like flex on, 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 on camera. <laughs> <laughs> well, AR, I'm going to get personal on you. Okay. So I would imagine being a urologist, you know, could probably lead to some, you know, interesting experiences. So how has your profession um, influenced your perspective and your approach on dating relationships, if you don't mind sharing? Sure. I mean, I think that going into urology and being exposed to just the normalization of sex was super, you know, empowering to me because where I grew up and how I grew up, sex was not normal or talked about. And then I went to medical school and residency and all urologists joke about is sex. (laughs) That normalization was, I think, very helpful for me personally and, and allowed me to like recognize some problems that I was having that I've that I've faced myself because it's no longer taboo to talk about and it's, it's no longer taboo to seek treatment for. And so it's very empowering to, to just normalize it and joke about it. And like I said, you can make the same dick jokes and it can be super cringy or it can be like kind of goofy and like make it normal and like, Hey, we all have them. Like yeah. all us men have them and they're all like a source of, pain and consternation and heartbreak for us. So let's, let's. <laughs> I think, I think if we can find the humor, you know, not just, you know, you know, in our male parts, but in aspect, in all aspects of our life, you know, yeah. the better for it. Right. La- they say that laughter is the, you know, best form of medicine. So, Absolutely. so definitely laugh on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly this has been a very enlightening conversation and Colin, unless you have any other questions, you know, I thought I'd ask uh, AR, you know, what some of the, the key takeaways, you know, would you would like to share with our audience of healthcare professionals um, to remember when it, to remember when it comes to men's sexual health and, and you or know, that yeah, men's health yeah. And, and building meaningful relationships. Like what would you, what would you, the top key takeaways? Yeah, I think that like men's health is is um, somewhat neglected in in medicine and health in general, and especially a holistic view of it. And you know, we have women's health doctors. Every single woman sees a women's health doctor, but not every man, you know, goes to see a men's health doctor. By far, most don't until they're going to see a urologist for problems that they're having later on in life. And what I'd really like to see is a f- shift in framework and a normalization about talking about these issues that men face and realizing that they're not immutable and irreversible and that men's men can take men can take control of their of their health and do it in a holistic way. And that will give them the confidence to approach life. Because if you you imagine just restoring testosterone levels through a replacement, for example, 
gives men a sense of vitality, gives men a sense of confidence, gives men the energy to go out and make positive impact in this world. Now imagine when they do that, not through taking an exogenous source that they're dependent on, but through their own hard work and approaching things holistically and, and working with a men's health consultant, then that gives them even more empowerment to realize that they didn't do it with the help of some pill or somebody else. They did it that themselves. So I really want that to be the takeaway message that men don't have to suffer in silence. These changes that happen with age are not irreversible and they're not immutable and that men can take control of these things and they'll be the better for it. And they'll be better partners, spouses, fathers, physicians, you know, members of society in general. So I'm all for taking care of us first. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate you saying that because as a male, it's very important for us to have these conversations, you know, whether it help, you know, it gets us to cringe or not, you know, I mean, cringe or not, I think it's important to have them, you know, start them, you know, as young as possible. And there's a lot of value in having those uncomfortable moments. And I think, you know, it's part of being human, you know, to have these emotions, but it's important to have these conversations. And, you know, um, we didn't talk about this, but, you know, I don't want it to kind of uh, be exuded or manifested in a very negative way, right? The overuse of, you know, pornography that leads to abuse, that leads to like trafficking, for example. It's a very real thing in our society. And if we can have these conversations and and open these up, you know, the more we have them, the better, you know, for us. So I think it's a very important thing to at least, you know, basic requisite to have. Yeah, absolutely. So but before we end, AR, so what would be the best way should, you know, our audience members want to reach out to you, connect with you? Should they have a question or perhaps, you know, would like to have some friendly conversation? What are the best ways to, to connect with you? Yeah, um, you probably reach me on um, Instagram. Um, I think you'll put up my Instagram handle. I have my personal Instagram handle and then my Icaria Health, which is my pet project, which is just kind of launching uh, for holistic men's health consulting. And I think that, you know, it's going to, you know, a specialist to talk about this. It may be a high bar for a lot of people. And I don't want them to like, you don't have to come talk to me, like talk to your healthcare, your own healthcare provider next time you're there. Cause they're not going to ask you the questions. They're not going to ask you, they're not going to give you a validated questionnaire about your sexual uh, erectile function and libido. Tell them, Hey, I'm not waking up with morning erections anymore. And is that, is that okay? Like, can I, what, what can I do about that? You know, go to go to a gym. I'm, I'm wearing my CrossFit Le- MD Level One T-shirt today <laughs> to plug CrossFit because that is what is, is a big tool. What helped me transform my own health. And CrossFit Health is an ish- initiative trying to get doctors involved in um, CrossFit. And so they off- actually offer uh, their Level One CrossFit coaching certification for free. For uh, it was originally it was MDs. Now it's actually all healthcare providers. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, Oh, so that's awesome. you can actually become certified as a CrossFit level one coach for free if you're a healthcare provider, and, you know, and, and so, and, and there's CrossFit gyms on, you know, where I live, at least like on every block pretty much. So go to a CrossFit gym, inquire about CrossFit health, go to your own physician, inquire about ways to improve your, you know, your own health and, or come, you know, chat with me on Instagram. 
Yeah, follow him, guys. If you, you know, he, he posts a lot of like really fun CrossFit uh, stories <laughs> and reels. And so I always have fun at CrossFit. That's one thing. <laughs> but I will make a joke about it. I will show up, I will die at CrossFit, and I will make a joke about it. And you can count on that. And stay tuned for sure. The calendar, right, Christine? We're going <laughs> to make that happen. Really <laughs> extra muscle so if we, you want to bring me back out for it oh we gotta so. okay we gotta bring my photographer a friend like Kim, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she actually yeah she it. actually did the, the photo shoot yeah colin so awesome. that, that'll be a lot of fun ar thank you so so much for taking the time out we really appreciate it on a very important topic um, several topics actually but you know under the umbrella of men's health um you know thank you you know, to the work that you do. And I think that by talking more about this, it opens up the floodgates for healthier conversations that benefits not just males, but also their partners as well and uh, on a community as a whole. So we appreciate you taking the time out to speak with us today. You guys are awesome. Thanks for making it fun. <laughs> oh, such a good sport. So, guys, uh, thanks for tuning in and joining us. And um, if you please go ahead and rate and subscribe and give us a five star review, especially with you know Dr. Abdelbar here giving us quality content, very educational that we, you know we've all benefited from. And with that, uh, let's say goodbye to Dr. Abdelbar, and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Bye, everyone. Guys, see you on the next episode, guys. Bye, bye. Bye, bye. Hey guys, thank you so much for watching and listening to this channel. If you enjoyed this, please like, comment, and subscribe. And if you felt like this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know as well. As a reminder, this channel does not offer medical advice. All opinions expressed are ours and our guests only. It is for general informational purposes only and does not replace professional healthcare services. Please consult your own healthcare provider for any medical issues you may have. Until the next episode, whether you're in and out of your scrubs, Please remember to love yourself and others and lead with kindness. Bye. Bye.